Well, hello and welcome again to Out With, the podcast that takes you beyond our borders and beyond the headlines. I'm Hal Mohideen. Now, I am old enough to remember when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York. He was the fetid mayor who helped steer the city through the turmoil after the city was attacked uh, back in 2001. Fast forward almost two decades now, and Mr Giuliani is still in the news, but this time he's perhaps better known as Donald Trump's lawyer. Now, he's been doing the rounds on various media circuits, uh, defending the president's agenda, defending uh, the president's actions almost. But one recent story caught my eye. Um, this is where Rudy Giuliani is getting involved in politics in Romania. Why Romania? Well, let's to find out. Uh, I'm joined by Kit Gillette, a journalist whose article in the New York Times has been outlining exactly why this uh, former mayor of New York is weighing in on efforts to tackle corruption in the country. Kit, welcome to Out With. Thank you, Hella. Um, first up, where is Romania? I had to Google it this morning, which just shows you the extent of my knowledge. Uh, we were trying to pinpoint it on the map this morning. I got it dreadfully wrong. Uh, tell us a bit more about this country. So geographically, it's in the, the far east of Europe. It's a bit north of Bulgaria, next to Ukraine, and, and bordering with parts of ex-Yugoslavia, so Serbia, and Hungary as well. So it's right in that kind of area, a little bit north of Greece, Bit, a bit west, a bit more east of everywhere else. Um, now, the country was part of the old uh, Soviet bloc. So up in between the Second World War and 1989, it was a communist country. And during the, the flow of revolutions that took down the kind of the communist, the Warsaw Pact in 89, it was one of those. It was actually the only only one of those that had a bloody revolution. So a few thousand people died in the fighting and Nikolai Ceausescu, who was the dictator at the time, was executed um, on Christmas Day, 1989. Uh, Romania joined, is actually a part of the EU now. It's one of the 28 countries. It joined in 2007, along with Bulgaria. So it's one of the newer members um, and you know, that has had a big impact on the country, um, joining the EU and the process of joining both on, you know, the movement of people, but on the economy and on some of the political moves and, yes, some well, of the, the impacts. It's had a positive effect, has it not, joining the European Union? Yes, very much so. Um, I don't think you would find many Romanians who would disagree with that. I mean, a lot of those changes have been economic. They have been, you know allowing people to migrate and and to earn money abroad but it has also there's been eu funds that have come into romania but at the same time there has been the impact of kind of institutional pressures from brussels to for romania to clean up its act whether that's in corruption or whether that's in um you know certain areas of institutional kind of controls and that's kind of what we're seeing right now with I mean, there's there's a lot of protests right now in this country and there's a lot of issues, especially related to corruption. Um, and the Giuliani story links into that in interesting ways. Right. Well, we'll come to that in just a second. But just to kind of sort of set the scene now for, for 
for people listening to this podcast, especially in the UK, Romania has it, it has certain connotations about it. When you you think about Romania joining the the, the EU, and there was the whole. Um, idea at the time, I remember we were sending reporters to the airports because as soon as travel uh, restrictions were lifted, we were expecting Romanians to be coming in there, tens of thousands, the way the polls were. And, and Romania was almost used as a, a, as a kind of dirty word. It does have a... Yes. I, and it is unfortunately so, and I, I should add as well, we didn't see that Romanian wave coming in in the, the, the way that it had been built up in the press. But, I mean, this is a, a country where life is difficult, is it not? I mean, after shaking off the shackles of communism and, and, and transitioning, there, there, it's still a place known for, for crime, for inequality, and for poverty as well. There are still lots of issues here that's you know undeniable it is still one of the poorest countries in in the eu i mean it has improved markedly um but you know it and but it is still one of the poorer countries lowest you know among the lower wages it is still one of the where countries where cor perceived corruption is the highest um so i mean it has made very positive steps over the last 10 years or more but you know there are still major issues you know um, and there is a growing divide. So in the big cities like Bucharest, the capital where I live, um, you know, there the there is a, a lot of young people who are quite affluent, who are doing very interesting things. There's a lot of companies. There's a lot of economic growth and boom here. But in rural areas in the countryside, there are an awful lot of people who have been left behind. Now, it's actually quite interesting, you know, economically, Romania was the fastest growing country in the EU last year. You know, the, the economy here is, is, is booming. But again, it's booming in some of the cities. And there's four or five major cities where things are going incredibly well if you're an educated young person, especially in software and tech and areas like that. But again, in rural areas, in the countryside, which is, you know, is, is a large percentage of the population, things have not changed and things have for many people, got worse. Well, it's, it's, you could almost argue the sort of parallels with, with, with most places now. If you're of in the course, cities, yeah. you know, if you're in the cities and you're well trained and well versed in technology, then I guess the you know the the world is your oyster, really. In terms of you know, for the people who are in the in the countryside outside of these booming urban centres, it's you know, it must be quite tough. I mean, it must be it must be incredibly hard. I mean, yeah, it really is. Um, you get a lot of travel articles written about Romania, you know, people, because, I mean, the nature is beautiful. I mean, it has some of the most pristine, untouched kind of agricultural rural areas in Europe. So a lot of travel articles get written. And one of the cliches is always that, you know, horse-drawn carts go past. But, you know, in the countryside, that is a reality. You know, in the countryside areas, people still often use horses and carts for for a lot of their day-to-day -day purposes. It's, you know, things have not moved on in those areas to a, you know, to a high degree. So it must be frustrating if you're, uh, if you're using a horse-drawn cart and you're struggling to, to get food on the table, um, just because not everyone is living like this. There are some people who are doing incredibly well. Yeah. There are. And then there is a, you know, a growing middle class um, that are doing, you know, 
very well for them, you know, compared to their parents' generation, they are doing very well for themselves. But yeah, those who are stuck behind, those who are tending the land, those who are living in in less affluent places in small towns, you know, they're really, it's hard to find ways of, you know, progressing, ways of kind of really moving up and finding, you know, feeling comfortable in your life. So, I mean, so talk to us now about corruption, because I understand that this is one of the, this is one of the big uh, drivers for change. This is one of the things that EU has been asking Romania to work on quite heavily. Um, and I guess it, it, there must be internal pressure as well if you have people driving horses and carts and they're saying, seeing other people driving Bentleys and going to, to, to high-end clubs and flying private planes. I mean, tackling corruption must be something of a... It must be something of a, an issue for them as well, no? It's, I mean, it's been a huge issue. Um, you know, Romania, corruption here was endemic, you know, across all swathes of society, you know, you... Before, you know, long before I came here, but, you know, in the 90s, you know, you you, you did pay doctors, you know, you did play, pay traffic cops, you played, you know, there, it was just the nature of things that there was a, a, a passing of money for, for certain, for help. Um, and, but what's interesting, you know, and this was heavily linked to the country joining the EU, is there has been a huge drive to clean up corruption here. And it's it had it has had a strong impact um, in neighbouring Bulgaria. There has been far less progress, um, and so corruption there is much more of an issue. But in Romania, when the country joined the EU, it set up uh, an independent uh, anti-corruption prosecutor's office, and that office, you know, targeted high-end corruption politicians, public figures, business men and women who you know who are running some of the bigger companies or just, you know, running medium-sized companies. And this agency has prosecuted and successfully prosecuted thousands of politicians and business leaders in the last, well, in the last 10 years. But, you know, especially in the last four or five years, they've really ramped up the number of convictions. Um, now, this has caused issues in itself, but, you know, they're, you know, we're talking people who are prosecute, successfully prosecuted for outrageous behaviour. Um, Tell me about and, this outrageous behaviour. I love outrageous behaviour. What sort of things well, are they being prosecuted for? I mean, you have a lot of issues of, I mean, it's bribery, a lot of it, and uh, but it's also abuse of office. Um, and you, I mean, we're not talking insignificant figures, you know, among the list of people kind of prosecuted successfully and sent to prison are, you know, an ex-prime minister, government ministers, members of parliament. Um, two months ago, the, the leader of the largest uh, political party in Romania, a guy called Livio Dragna, was convicted and sentenced to three and a half years for abuse of, abuse of office. Um, so he he's appealing that right now, so he's not in, in prison right now. But interestingly, well, sadly for, for many Romanians, this isn't his first conviction. Uh, two years ago, he was, again, convicted of electoral fraud. So this is the leader of the, the largest party in the country uh, for parliamentary seats. And he, he can't be prime minister because of his earlier conviction, but, you know, he is the man, he's the de facto prime minister. And this isn't, you know, this is not 
that's just an example. You know, there are too many to count, really. Gosh. And there is currently a, and Romania, in Romania, there are, sorry, let me just think this one through. You can still remain in office if you have a suspended sentence. So right now there is uh, a petition going around that has over a million signatures trying to change this part of the constitution so that if you have a conviction, you cannot hold public office. Because at the moment, that's, that's, you, you're allowed to. A million signatures. I mean, there's a real willingness, it seems, to, to, to deal with this because, you know, we hear about corruption. Uh, we hear about corruption a lot, like in, in Ukraine, when all the, everything started kicking off there uh, a couple of years ago. Corruption was one of the things that, were, that was listed. And then you'd have a new government come in and then there's corruption. It, you know, these people turn out to be corrupt as well. But here in Romania, it does seem like there's a real willingness to actually tackle this head on. I mean, how successful um, do you see this in the long term? Do you see a real sort of shift in, uh, you know, in, in how the... Are people getting less corrupt because of these efforts? Yes, but the issue is that, you know, that's the first half or the first act of the story. Right. And we are currently in the middle of the second act or the third act. And this has really been over the last year and a half. Okay. So there were parliamentary elections uh, in December 2016. And almost straight away after that, um, the new government started trying to rein in the fight against corruption. So it started off by basically pushing through some emergency ordinance that kind of passed at 10 p.m. at night on like a Wednesday evening that effectively decriminalized low-level corruption. So if you're, if you're involved in, a, if the, the financial damage of your case was less than the equivalent of about 20,000 euros, it wasn't really a crime. Gosh. And you couldn't be prosecuted. So that happened. And then within days, hundreds of thousands were protesting on the streets. And that actually peaked at about half a million people protesting, which were the largest protests since the fall of communism back in 89. Yes. And so at that point, the government backed down, um, pulled that ordinance or, you know, replaced it. And the justice minister at the time uh, resigned. Um, but, you know, since then, there have been continual actions and reactions. Okay. So there have been... Uh, threats or they have been weakening of the independence of the judiciary uh so judges and prosecutors have suddenly kind of seen their independence being weakened there have been questions there have been attempts to kind of pull back some of the tools that can be used to go after uh these cases um and the argument is that you know the the anti-corruption prosecutors were you know heavily relying on uh, court or uh, courts approved wiretaps, but you know wiretaps, especially in this region, have very negative connotations because of the secret police and because of pre eighty yeah. nine. So there's a lot of caution about that, and there's a sense that maybe you know that the prosecutors are relying too heavily on these. And but anyway, yes, there's been a, a huge amount of kind of movements that have then brought the people back onto the streets to protest. Um, you know, the head of this anti-corruption agency was fired about two months ago and they're currently trying to find a replacement for her. Um, but that 
angered a lot of people because she's very popular here and yeah. very popular among EU countries. And and then basically a month ago on August the 10th, there were more protests that actually ended up with a, a lot of tear gas used and water cannons and about 450 people needing medical help. And, you know, it was it was a very unexpected kind of turn of events because the protests up until now have you know there have been small clashes but very minor and then suddenly this one evening you know I was in the square I caught some you know quite a bit of tear gas myself and you know it's it was you know it's there's a sense that people are unsure if events are escalating if things are getting better worse you know it's we're in a kind of very precarious moment right now it feels like and I had no idea. So this uh, this is one of these crazy things. You, you you hear a lot about, and this is the criticisms that get bandied around a lot. Oh, you know, I don't. This party's corrupt, and that party's corrupt. When you're talking about politics in the UK or over in the US, you know, Hillary Clinton is corrupt is one of the the things that you hear a lot of. But it, I mean, this seems like a whole other level in Romania, and it, it sounds a little bit like there's a you have a, a population who is sick of actual corruption, who are wanting you know, these prosecutors, this agency to, to get the job done. There's a lot of, you know, they're putting a lot of faith in this system and then they're electing politicians who are trying to undermine that work. I mean, that must be creating massive, massive tensions between the political class and the electorate. I mean, very much. I mean, it's important to say that all of the traditional parties uh, have their issues with corruption. You know, it is not just one or two parties. You know, it is, you know, the, the there is an issue with the system, yes, that is perhaps slowly getting better, but it's not just one or two parties. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's very frustrating. Again, you know, this is partly where you see this urban rural divide coming as well, because the city populations, the younger populations, the more educated populations, they are wanting Romania to move fast towards a kind of more of a Western model and to clean its act up. And they're very angry about this. Okay. But the rural populations and in smaller places, you know, the 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 larger, the Social Democrat Party, the larger party is very strong in those areas. And it's strong because, you know, it's, it's a left of centre party. Mm -hmm. You know, its platforms are pensions, are, you know, money to, you know, it's it's the party that rural voters overwhelmingly vote for and for them the corruption issue has not spread well you know the there's a, a media issue here with certain channels that are more popular that you see kind of a more of an american model of of media in the sense that you have more politicized publications and politicized tv stations right. and and that influences is, you know, in some rural areas, what information there or how the information is transmitted. Okay. Um, so, you know, where does Rudy Giuliani fit into all of this? Because now we have the overview of, uh, well, where Romania is, uh, what's going on. It does sound like this sort of, you know, obviously... It sounds a bit more extreme what's happening there in terms of protests and tear gas and all kinds of uh, uh, shenanigans and so on. Uh, but there does, we, we, we have a broader understanding now of what's going on in Romania. 
What has Rudy Giuliani got to do with all of this? Like, what, what's, he, what's he doing meddling in this situation? It's a very good question. And, and his, his arrival on the scene surprised a lot of people here. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it, it was very unexpected. Um, you know, Giuliani, as well as his work for Trump, you know, he does... Well, you'd think he has enough on his plate, wouldn't he? I mean, if he's representing yeah, Donald Trump, he, that'd keep you busy, wouldn't it? No, he, I mean, he's got, he's had a business for quite a few years where he supports in, in various ways, some Turkish, some Iranian, some various influences, you know, some political parties or businesses, you know, he, he is a voice for hire in some places of the world. Um, now, his involvement here basically involved a letter, you know, he wrote a letter to the president here and to other political leaders, uh, uh, voicing his concern about the anti-corruption fight and basically suggesting that it had gone too far, that those involved were using politicizing things, that it was being too heavy-handed, and that those who had been prosecuted should be given an amnesty. You know, that was basically the the, the points of what he said. That and this was, you know, very much against the statements that we've had over the last year or, well, 10 years or more from the US State Department, from the embassy in, in Bucharest, who, who have been very supportive of the anti-corruption fight and very supportive of this anti-corruption agency. You know, the, a few days after the letter came out, um, well, maybe a day after it started being reported in the Romanian press, you know, I, I contacted the American embassy here who basically said, you know, one, we don't comment on uh, opinions or from private US citizens and to look back on our previous statements, the most recent one from like a month before, saying that, you know, we're supportive of Romania's anti-corruption fight and we we do not, you know, we we ask those who are involved in changing the legislation to be very careful. And that's and, so, uh, and that's fair enough. But to be fair, Rudy Giuliani is a bit more than just an American citizen, because the average American citizen does not have the ear of the U.S. president and does not have that sphere of influence. So, you know, is it doesn't really sit well, that kind of sort of denial. I mean, is there an indication that the U.S. position is changing in terms of, you know, has the corruption, um, anti-corruption campaign gone too far? Um, I mean, no, it's the, the simple answer. It, there's no indication that the U.S. position has changed at all. I mean, Giuliani said, you know, after, you know, one of my colleagues in New York talked to him for the article um, and you know, he made it clear to myself and to other journalists who, who also, you know, reported on this that he was talking in his own capacity, uh, not as a representative of Trump, and said, you know, to, to another journalist that maybe he should have made it clear that he was not, you know, uh, he, this was no official capacity. Um, and he made it clear that he had been paid by... Uh, uh, something called the Freire Group, which is uh, a consultant. His Giuliani's own consultancy group was uh, put on a retainer by this other American group that is uh, headed by a former, I believe, CIA, but it could be FBI uh, official director. Um, and he, most of his information came from 
you know, research report that they had put together. Now they have, it is clear, you know, that they have previously represented and they may, you know, they may still represent, you know, they haven't spoken to people and acknowledged who their clients are, but they have previously represented uh, at least one, perhaps two Romanian businessmen who have been caught up in the anti-corruption fight um, and anti-corruption efforts. One of their former or present, we don't know, um, clients is currently uh, living in London because he was sentenced to, I believe, nine years in prison for a real estate uh, deal. Um, and he left the country before he could be sentenced and arrested and he's now living in London. So, you know, there is, once you follow the money, um, you know, there, it's not, not all the details are known and there are some gaps, but it, it paints a very, you know, it, it raises some serious questions about his, his involvement in, in Romania. It does indeed. And if we just kind of break it down to the, the sort of the simplistic level that I can understand, because when it comes to following money, I'm not very good at this kind of thing. I'm good at spending money if it's any consolation. Um, but it does sound an awful lot like Rudy Giuliani is being paid to defend corruption or to defend people who do not want to tackle corruption. I mean, that is... Perhaps it's oversimplified. There are many people in Romania who, who see that, it, it's a, you know, who think that exactly that, that, you know, when it comes down to it, this boils down to Giuliani being paid to write a letter attacking anti-corruption efforts in Romania. And, you know, there is... We still need more details, but, you know, that... You could very easily argue that that's what it comes down to at its brass points. Right. So, I mean, what's, what's, has this worked? I mean, what, what has this letter achieved uh, in terms of, you know, for the people who were perhaps employing Giuliani to write this letter? I mean, has it helped take the, uh, the foot off the gas when it comes to anti-corruption efforts? What, what's, the, what's been the, I don't know, the I mean, I, I, would, I would say... Did they have value for money? No, I mean, right now it feels like it may have backfired, you know, just because of the amount of attention this got and how quickly it became clear that, you know, in Giuliani's own words, that, you know, he, this was him as a private citizen, this was his consultancy firm by hired and paid by another consultancy firm, that he based his information on a report from that firm that, again, has had these questionable clients in the past at least and maybe current and presumably currently has some and so you know you could it seems like it has not been a, it was not a good uh, spending of cash but okay. you know the the politicians the leader of the social democrat party here and others have you know thanked Giuliani for his letter and said that you know he really hit the nail on the head and so it is being used as propaganda, you know, it is being it is being utilised by those who have said for a long time that the anti-corruption fight is going too far. It is using uh, illegal tools, and it is, you know, it is, you know, uh, attacking innocent people. And you know, Giuliani's letter outlined, you know, the same arguments that is are often used to criticise, you know, the anti-corruption prosecutors here. Um, and in terms of their choice of messenger, really, because, you know, Juliana's saying I'm a private citizen. 
uh, and all of this. But he's a private American citizen. And America still carries some kind of clout, does it not? It's like the, using a very prominent... And he's more than an American citizen, as you've yeah. pointed out. You know, he is... You know, he spe- every day you hear about him, you know, in the press, re- you know, related to, to Trump for this story or that story. You know, yes. he is he's not a... Yeah, his voice... And so, independent citizen. And so, does Trump help or hinder the cause here? I mean, I, I'm I'm just wondering if it was an attempt to use American might to say, okay, you know, you know, let's let's wind this up now. The Americans are the arbiter of all that is good, and now it just shows you're going too far. Or does this reflect badly on the U.S. and 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 Trump, the the Trump presidency on the whole, sort of bringing them on the wrong side of a corruption fight? I mean, if you look at it more broadly, what what, what do you think the impact is? I mean, it's hard to know right now. I don't think it will change many people's minds, um, you know, about whether the corruption fight, you know, those who support the anti-corruption fight, this won't have impacted anything. They'll, you know, just like Giuliani a bit less. Uh, Those who uh, think the anti-corruption fight has gone too far and that politicians are being unfairly attacked, you know, this will maybe bolster them a little bit and they might look like Giuliani a little bit more, but it it doesn't change anything particularly on the ground. I mean, what it kind of does is, you know, over this last year and a half, when when we've had this real fight over, you know, the ongoing efforts of the anti-corruption agency and prosecutors um, an effort, I mean, we've had a, Romania has had a huge amount of vocal support from international allies. You know, it, the the country protesters and then, you know, the anti-corruption agency and the anti-corruption effort has been widely praised in, in Brussels and in, you know, the US and by the European Commission. And we've had kind of letters of, you know, the multiple, like as recently as I think it was July, uh, 11 or 12 embassies, including the US and Canada and a lot in the in the EU, you know, wrote a strong letter, you know, again, it's expressing their concerns about, you know, this pushback and these legislation changes that, again, seem to weaken the anti-corruption fight. Um, so, you know, you could argue that this will be an international voice saying the opposite. So you can kind of, when when one side pulls out and says, look, all our international allies are saying that, you know, we need to continue this fight against corruption, then, you know, the other side can pull out a letter from Giuliani saying, well, you know, we've got the, the you know, the lawyer of, of Donald Trump, you know, got the lawyer of the most powerful man in the world who has a very different point of view. And, you know, so maybe going forward, it can be, it, it could still be, you know, used in a, a battle of the propagandas. Okay, and I, I know that we're we're kind of running over time here, Kit. Um, just quickly, where do you, where do you see this going next? What, what what are the next things that we should be looking out for if we want to keep following the story? It's hard to really know where it's going to go next. I mean, there are both sides are you know pretty fixed. You know, people, the politician, political class, are not you know those, those who are pushing to to defang the anti-corruption agency or to kind of remove some of their tools. We'll keep doing that. You know, if, if everything over the last year and a half hasn't changed their mind, they're not going to back down. The pro- people protesting are, you know, they they have flagged a little in their energy and the numbers have dropped in recent past, but, 
you know, the August 10 protests when, you know, as I said, 450 or so people were, were injured, that's brought back energy, you know, people are very angry. So, I mean, this is going to continue. And the, this fight, this fight against corruption and this fight against the fight against corruption is just going to, well, yeah, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. And it's really hard to, you know, really hard to say where, how things will end. Well, we will keep an eye on it. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, Kit. And if people want to continue following your work, you're published in the New York Times and the Guardian. Uh, Christian Science Monitor as well, I think. We, we keep seeing your name pop up all over the place. Where's the best place to find your work if we want to keep following you? I mean, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Kit Gillett, um, or you can, yeah, I mean, New York Times, the Guardian, there's some things in the economist that are mine but you don't see my name on them um but yeah i mean just yeah around we'll see you around and i hope we will continue to see you around kit thank you so much for joining us from bucharest thanks for listening to the outwith podcast and uh, we'll hope to catch you at the same time next week bye-bye